This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. Monday morning, a chilly one here in the Northeast, the 16th day of November 2020. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. We appreciate a little bit of your time this morning. Lots to get to this morning. A crazy weekend in sports. Uh, of course, the Masters going on and uh, a lot of excitement in uh, uh, in the NFL uh, yesterday, some fantastic finishes, as they like to say in the past. Uh, so we'll get to all that uh, coming up just in a couple of minutes. Just before I came on this morning, actually, when I just when I first got up this morning, um, there was some news that Moderna, the uh, drug manufacturer, has come up with another vaccine for the coronavirus. And well, they we knew they were developing it, but they have announced that uh, in their tests that it is almost ninety five percent effective. So put that on top of what Pfizer came up with in theirs, and we're finding out that these potential vaccines are way more effective than doctors thought they were going to be. I mean, look, look, the flu vaccine is only effective fifty to sixty percent of the time. And with this one, it seems like they have really nailed it. Uh, they're doing it. This is this. These particular vaccines are done a little bit differently in that they don't actually contain the virus itself. You know, with the flu, they it actually has a weakened strain of the flu virus in the in the vaccine. That's very common with vaccines. This one has some kind of a uh, uh, genetic code in it that trains the human immune system to recognize part of the protein in the virus and manufacture antibodies to fight it off. It's, it's way above my, uh, my intelligence level, but, uh, that's the, that's the basis of it. But look, it's great news. I mean, obviously we want to get back to normal. This, the, the, this trial's still not over. It's been on for a few weeks in order for this or the Pfizer one to be given out to the public. It has to get emergency authorization from the FDA. My guess is that's going to happen. Um, you know, and we don't know everything, but here's the, here's what we do know. The Moderna th- study had 30,000 volunteers in it that were given either the real vaccine or a placebo, you know, a dummy shot. Well, this Sunday, just yesterday, an independent board looked at the code and examined, there were 95 infections in this 30,000 or, or in this group that they looked at. 95 infections. What they found out that was all but five of the infections that took place after these people got the vaccine or the placebo, all but five of the infections were in people that got the placebo, not the people that got the actual vaccine. So, 
90 of the 95 infections were people that didn't get the vaccine. They got a fake shot. Very similar to what happened with Pfizer. That is really encouraging. And the other good news with this is that the side effects aren't anything really bad. I mean, it's some fatigue, maybe some muscle aches, a little pain around the injection site. That's it. So this is all good news. I mean, obviously, we all want to get back to normal. And with the numbers, I mean, they're going crazy. We're 150,000-plus infections a day. There's been over a million infections in the last week alone in the United States. So this is great news. You know, and uh, Anthony Fauci was on the Today Show this morning. And look, I mean, he said that, that this is as good, you know, it's as good as it could get. You know, the concern now is when does it come out? I mean, even if this gets emergency authorization from the FDA, there's only going to be maybe 70 million doses by the end of the year, by December. And both of these vaccines, you have to get two shots within a couple of weeks apart. So 70 divided by two, that's 35 million people that could get the vaccine between now and the end of December. You know, that's a drop in the bucket when you look at an American population of 350 million. That's 10%. And obviously the people that should get it first are going to be the people that are taking care of those that are sick, the first responders. You know, those should be the people that get it first. And then it should be the high-risk groups and, and, you know, on down the line. But if they can get 70 million doses by the end of December, you would think by the end of the spring we're going to be getting to a point where, you know, maybe by next summer there's enough doses out there where we're going to be able to breathe again and relax a little bit and, you know, maybe get past this. But in the meantime, folks, wear a damn mask. You got to you gotta wear a mask. You got to keep it up. I know we're all tired of it. You know, I went to the grocery store this weekend, and I was all the way to the front door of the grocery store, and I realized I didn't have my mask on. I had to go back to my car and get it. But, but you know, and I, was, and I was like, God damn it. You know, but it's, you know, it is what it is. You know, we, we just have to do that. So, and the other exciting news over the weekend, this happened last night. And being the nerd that I am, I watched it. Uh, SpaceX last night launched four astronauts up to the International Space Station. The second time SpaceX has uh, had uh, astronauts on their flights. They had that test flight a few months ago with two astronauts. Well, yesterday it was four. Went off without a hitch. That first stage actually came back down and landed on a drone ship so they can reuse it. Fascinating stuff. Compared to where we were when I was a kid, when, you know, when... uh, uh, Space flight just got going. Uh, it is amazing what they do. I and I just I watched it and I don't apologize for it. I actually had uh, I had the football game on or the the post game show and then the pregame show for the night game and I had the uh, SpaceX launch on my computer and was watching it. I just you know, but pretty cool stuff. Uh, all right, um, let's get to sports. The Masters was um, the final round. Pretty anticlimactic. Uh, I mean, well, there was a little bit of drama early. Uh, Dustin Johnson, um, after the first five holes, his four-stroke lead was down to one. But he then, in the uh, on the sixth hole, he got a birdie. Uh, then Cameron Smith missed a par putt uh, on the next hole, and all of a sudden, 
It's back up to three. It never got closer to two the rest of the way. And Johnson wins this thing easily. 20 under par, a new record for Augusta. He wins it by five shots over Smith and uh, Sung J M. Um, and Johnson broke a, a streak that he, I'm sure, was thrilled to break. He had had the 54-hole lead at four consecutive uh, ma- uh, uh, majors and could not win any of them. Well, he did yesterday. Ends up with a final round, 68. And uh, so good for him. Uh, Justin Thomas, a guy that a lot of people thought had a chance to win, it ends up finishing fourth, 12 under par, eight strokes back. Uh, Rory was nine strokes back. Rory had a great – after a 75 in the first round, Rory shot 66, 67, 69, and still finished nine strokes back. Um, the talk before the tournament was about Bryson DeChambeau and how he was going to overpower Augusta. Yeah, well, uh, he finished two under par for the entire tournament. Uh, he couldn't even beat a 63-year-old, Bernard Langer, who is 63 years old and on the Champions Tour, caught, made the cut and finished at three under par at 63 years old, and Bryson DeChambeau couldn't beat him. And I know this is terrible. You know, and I, it probably makes me a bad human being. I rooted against Bryson DeChambeau all weekend. And I know this is terrible, but I kept rooting for him to hit the ball in the trees or to, you know, to hit it in the water or, to, you know, I just, I, you know, look, he is a very polarizing figure in golf right now because of his approach to the game. But also I have an issue with, his demeanor, I guess. I mean, his he. I don't want to say he's arrogant, but he has kind of this air of I'm smarter than you are. You know, and you know, and look, the whole you know having a bag full of clubs that are all the same length. That, that's fine. You know, whatever you want to tinker with that stuff. But you know, we we have a a six month break because of the coronavirus, and all of a sudden he comes back like the Incredible Hulk, and now it's all about you know clubhead speed, you know, and just hitting drives 350 yards and just changing the way the golf course is played. He was taking angles at Augusta that no one has ever taken. There were times that it paid off, but there were times that it didn't. What what bothered me about him this weekend, and maybe there was an issue, maybe there wasn't. You know, my thing was is, you know, they talked about to him after the first round. He's like, well, you know, I there was just something wrong. I didn't feel right. I felt a little dizzy. You know, I took a, I got a coronavirus test because I wasn't sure, but I just didn't feel right. You know, and it was like kind of an excuse kind of thing. And then even at the end, after they when they talked to him, you know, it was like, well, you know, I just, uh, I'm not going to get too upset about this. I'm just going to keep moving forward because things weren't right. I wasn't right. Well, I rooted against him. It just, I, I, I'm sorry. And, and I'm probably going to continue to root against him um, because I don't think what he does is good for the game. I don't think hitting, you know, drives 350 yards and convincing kids now. We have young kids. We have coaches that are teaching young kids differently now. Now it's all about bulking up and crushing the ball, just like in baseball where we went to exit velocity and uh, 
and launch angle, and now we have little league coaches teaching kids about exit velocity and launch angle instead of, hey, but how about we teach them how to make contact and hit the ball to all fields and learn how to be a good hitter? No, it's going to be we're going to crush the ball out of the ballpark. So he has become the golf equivalent to what's going on in baseball right now. And I know I'm probably showing my age, and I actually said that uh, uh, to a couple of the guys, uh, Oliver Martell and uh, from uh, Small State Big Takes, one of the uh, podcasts you hear on Sports Country Radio this weekend was like, I know I'm showing my age, but this is just not right. It's not the way to play the game, and it's it, and, and now we're asking kids to change everything and to pick up bad habits because that's what it's going to do. Because the way Bryson DeChambeau plays the game, there is very little margin for error. It's great if you're him and you can do what he does, but most people aren't going to be able to do that, and people that try to do that are going to pick up a ton of bad habits. You know, I would rather, you know, have kids, you know, you know, you don't want to look, I, I'm not saying that everybody needs to drive the ball 250 and, you know, we need to go back to the old days. That's not what I'm saying. But the equipment and, you know, and the golf ball and everything has already made these courses in some cases obsolete. And now you add in what, what the shambles doing and it's, it's crazy. So uh, you look, you know, he's way smarter than I am. I get that. You know, and he's way more of a, you know, he's a better athlete than I ever was. I get that, but I still don't think what he does is good for the game. So I rooted against him. Uh, Tiger Woods, I rooted for him. And, you know, look, Tiger had a great first round, but then he was stuck in neutral the rest of the tournament. He never really did anything the rest of the tournament. And then on Sunday... Look, he starts five five under par. You know, he's not he's not going to win the tournament. We already know that. You know, but he's moving along again, still kind of stuck in neutral. And then, <laughs> then he gets to the twelfth hole and puts the ball in the water three times. And I I looked at my wife. I said, I can do that <laughs> three times. He put a 10 up on the board a 10 uh then after doing that and going from like uh what three under or four under to four over he then birdies five of the last six holes he finishes one under par you take away that 10 he finishes in the top 10 one bad hole. I mean, you know, you could say that about any sport, right? One bad play, it's all it takes. But good Lord, it's the highest score he had ever had in a hole in his career. Previous high he'd ever had was an, was an eight. Three balls in the water. I mean, it was it was, it was funny, uh, but, but it wasn't really funny. I mean, it just, you kind of, you felt bad. I mean, just, oh. So, uh, but again, strange masters, no fans. And, you know, there were a lot of people that talked about it. Even Tiger Woods, you know, was like, it's it's strange. Jack Nicholas talked about it at one point this weekend and said, you know, I'm not sure. when he, he said, when I won back in 1986, and we all remember that, Jack was 46 years old, and it was his last major and his sixth Masters championship, 
and that great run he made on the final day, he said, I don't think I could have won that tournament. I couldn't have done what I did without fans there because I fed off of the energy and the crowd. They got me pumped up. So I'm not sure I could have won it. And I think for some golfers, Tiger may be one of them, that you know he needs that energy from the crowd. There's a lot of guys that play with Tiger that hate the crowds because there's a different buzz around Tiger, and it's a challenge to play with him. But there are some golfers, I think, that need that. You know, there have been some that have just said, I just assume fans never come back. <laughs> but I think there are guys that need it. I think Tiger's one of them. You know, my takeaway with Tiger over the weekend is he's still got game. You know, he could have been a, a top 10 player. He And he missed a lot of putts. I mean, it wasn't like he was missing three-foot putts, but he was missing a lot of 10, 12-foot putts, and he was just barely missing them. If he gets a few more putts to fall, who the hell knows? But he still got game. He hit the ball pretty well all weekend, and he steamed, seemed to stay uh, pretty healthy. So, you know, I, I don't count him out. I don't, I don't think he gets Jack's record. I don't know if he ever wins another major again. He may. He's still Tiger, but he's still a force to be reckoned with. And when fans come back next year, and I do believe fans will be back in all sports next year with this, the vaccines on the horizon, I, I firmly believe we'll have fans in golf. I firmly believe we're going to have a 162-game season and fans in the stands in baseball. We may not have 100% capacity in baseball. It would not surprise me, at least early on, if they limit it to 25 to 50%. But I think perhaps by the end of the summer, we're back to having crowds everywhere again. And, oh, my God, how great is that going to be? So, um, some uh, sad news. I mean, Tommy Lasorda has been hospitalized, the Hall of Fame manager, former manager of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. He's 93 years old. He's in intensive care. Uh, said he's resting comfortably. Uh, Tommy was actually at Game Six um, in the World Series uh, when the Dodgers won the World Series uh, in Texas. He was there on October 27th, uh, but he has been hospitalized um, again. You know, he he's he's had a couple of heart attacks. Um, he had a heart attack just before retiring uh, as Dodger manager back in what was it '96, I think. He had another heart attack back in 2012. He's 93 years old. He's had a great run. Uh, you know, it, it, they said he's resting comfortably, and, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, at the end of the day, the way, Jesus, the way 2020 is going, you know, they're dropping like flies. Uh, so uh, he's the oldest living Hall of Famer, by the way. And we've already lost a couple of Hall of Famers this year, so um, uh, hopefully we're not going to lose another one, but uh, Tommy Lasorda uh, in the hospital. Uh, other baseball news, and this is great baseball news, and uh, all I can say is it's about time. Uh, Kim Ang got hired. You probably heard this over the weekend on Friday. She was hired by the Miami Marlins to be their general manager, the first female general manager in baseball. In fact, she is the first female general manager in any of the four major North American professional sports. You know, we haven't had one in basketball or hockey or football, but she is the first one in baseball. And it's been a long time coming. She has been working in baseball for 30 years. It's not like she, you know, this is some like, hey, let's let's hire a woman. 
She started as an intern with the White Sox back in uh, the early 90s. And uh, I think 1990 or 91. And she worked uh, there. She worked for the Dodgers. She worked for the Yankees. She's got she's got World Series rings. Uh, you know, this is somebody that uh, Joe Torre thought so much of uh, when he was with the Yankees. He actually said at one point, you know, at some point he said somebody's going to have to stop looking at her as a woman and just make a baseball decision and hire her. Uh, so, you know, I think this is, this is awesome. Um, she worked for the Yankees from 1998 to 2001. She worked for the Dodgers for nine years. She worked for the White Sox, uh, for seven years. Um, and then she has spent the last nine years with major league baseball as a senior vice president. So, and she's applied for other GM positions before she's always been turned down. Uh, and Derek Jeter, uh, had the balls. To hire her. And why not? I mean, Derek Jeter, the first black owner we've had in uh, in Major League Baseball, he hired uh, Caroline O'Connor as a senior vice president, one of, one of the highest-ranking women in professional sports. And uh, so why not? You know, and look, you know, and they, they also bring out, they also mention that she's an Asian-American. I don't, okay, all right, fine, but. The fact that she is a woman, I think this is just awesome. You know, and all the stuff going on in social media these days where you have guys, when when women, you know, want to speak up about sports a lot of times, you have a lot of cretins out there that are trying to mansplain sports to women as if they're dumb and they don't know the game. Look, she is as qualified to do this as any man. Okay. She couldn't, she can't throw a 95 mile an hour fastball, but so what, you know, um, you know, she can't, you know, hit the ball, you know, 400 feet, but so what it it doesn't stop her from knowing the game. Look, uh, uh, we have major league managers who never played professional baseball. Mike Schilt, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, never even played minor league baseball. He grew up around a minor league team. His mom owned it. He's never played baseball at any level. So if he can do that, why can't a woman? You know, what's it got to do with anything? And by the way, you know, she played softball in college at the University of Chicago. You know, softball and baseball are very similar. Yeah, so what? She can't do what a man can do on the field. She doesn't need to. You know, she doesn't need to. She can study and she can recognize talent. Uh, you know, and we this has been going on for years. It's been a tough thing for women to crack into. I, I'm not sure this is going to open up the floodgates, but, you know, very similar in, in baseball, basketball, the same thing. There is no reason why a woman can't coach a men's basketball team none if men can coach a women's basketball team why can't a woman coach a men's team there is no reason none women can play basketball the same way men can sure they can't run as fast they can't jump as high but the tactics of the game are the same you know 
softball, I mean, a swing is a swing. Same thing. Softball, baseball, it's the same thing. It's the same game. Yes, there's some nuances between softball and baseball. I get it. I watched it for a long time. I get it. But, you know, Jessica Mendoza, who kind of broke the, the barrier in TV as a, as a color analyst. Now, you know, she gives some pretty good insights. She talks too much. But I think she does a fine job uh, with her insights. I think Susan Waldman has been fine as a color analyst on radio. If they can do that, why can't K-Mang be a general manager? She can recognize talent the same way a man can, the same way a woman's basket, a woman basketball coach can uh, draw a play up on a chalkboard the same way a man can. It's all about perception, and it's all about the mentality of a male-dominated society. And look, I'm as, uh, you know, macho's not the right word, but I, I can be as big a male chauvinist pig, I guess, as the next guy. But I'm also a guy who raised two daughters. And I don't believe in telling my daughters that there's anything they can't do. And I think most men who raise daughters feel the same way. So good for Kim Ang. And good for her persistence. It's taken her 30 years, but she's finally gotten to the top of the mountain and I hope, and I'm sure she won't be the last. You know, I don't know that this is going to open up the floodgates and everybody's going to do it, but I think we're getting close in in uh, pro basketball to having a female head coach. I think we're, I think we're five years away from that, perhaps, and maybe you know, maybe less in college basketball. Somebody at some point is going to have to have the balls to be the first one to make that decision. Derek Jeter had the balls to do it. Look, Derek Jeter doesn't have to apologize to anybody. His resume, his baseball resume is what it is. And if he, I mean, he's a guy that has the gravitas to be able to make this decision and not get a lot of blowback on it. And so good for the Marlins, good for Derek Jeter, and congratulations to Kim Ang. It's 31 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll take a look at yesterday's NFL games. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call on a Monday morning. Um, some great uh, finishes in the NFL yesterday. Um, and some upsets in the NFL yesterday, and probably not the least of which uh, the Patriots with the win last night over the Baltimore Ravens. Um, to say that I didn't see this coming would be, <laughs> would be an understatement, and I don't think anybody that's not a, a you know bleeding Patriot blue person would have thought that the Patriots had a chance in this game. Uh, and if you look at the stats in this game, you know, you would say, how'd they win this? Uh, Baltimore had time of possession. Baltimore had more total yards. Uh, you know, but there were a couple of big factors in this. Uh, the Patriot defense did a spectacular job of pressuring uh, Lamar Jackson. He was under fire a lot. They sacked him a couple of times. They had an interception. And the Patriots did not turn the ball over once in this game. Not once. No fumbles, no interceptions. And the Patriots, again, continued to keep themselves out of jeopardy by limiting penalties. Just three penalties in this game for 18 yards. And one of those 
was on a punt return and you know it was a uh, a hold on a uh, on a punt return you know that backed them up about 5 yards put them deep in their own ten- territory late in the game but that was it i mean uh, they continue to take care of the game in that way and baltimore on the other hand was whistled 8 times for 64 yards and penalties uh cam newton controlled this game it was bad weather you know, now the very start of it, it was just kind of, you know, raining a little bit. But as the game went on, the weather got worse and worse and worse. And Cam Newton did a great job of controlling this game. He only threw for 118 yards. But he made some big plays when he needed to. He did throw a touchdown pass. He ran the ball, uh, you know, only gained 21 yards on the ground, but had a couple of big gains, picked up a first down on a quarterback sneak, had a touchdown run of his own. Uh, he did a great job of controlling the game. The Patriots did what they do so often, went to a little trickery. Jacoby Myers with a touchdown pass to Rex Burkhead. Nobody saw that coming. Now, I did not realize Jacoby Myers had actually been recruited out of high school as quarterback. And he threw, in bad weather, by the way, he threw a nice spiral, a 25-yard touchdown pass to Rex Burkhead. Uh, Burkhead actually had four receptions in this game, two touchdowns. And they ran for another 31 yards. He averaged five yards a pop on the ground. Uh, he continues to be a valuable uh, member of this team. Every year they want to replace the guy, but every year uh, he finds a way to uh, to get it done. Damian Harris, a guy that uh, got injured a couple of weeks ago, we were worried about his condition, ran 22 times for 121 yards yesterday. So, uh, And then the Patriots got a gift from Mother Nature. <laughs> uh, the Patriots start after that, after that, uh, penalty, they get it deep in their own end. Um, they manage to pick up, you know, a few first downs. They keep the clock moving. They finally have to punt with about a minute to go. They punt the ball. Baltimore gets it back, and then all of a sudden, the heavens absolutely opened up with the heaviest rain they had seen the entire game. It was coming down in buckets. The wind picked up, and there was nothing that Baltimore could do in that that slog fest for the last minute. And they had and and Baltimore had had some troubles, by the way, uh, prior to that. Lamar Jackson a couple of times had trouble with snaps. You know, and whether it was him, whether it was the center, whatever it was, they mishandled uh, two or three snaps in that fourth quarter that really set them back and actually killed one drive. Uh, They ended up with like a second and 26 after one of those. So, you know, go figure. You know, the Ravens now are 0-6 in the regular season at New England. And this was a case where I felt like, you know, if the Patriots were able to have fans in the stands, maybe it would give them some kind of an advantage against Baltimore. But I really didn't think that they had a prayer. The way they played the previous week when they got absolutely embarrassed, I thought there was no shot. But now the Patriots are 4-5. and five. You know, look, they're not in the playoffs, at least not yet. You know, and I don't, I don't know, you know, what to think about this. They have a game, a winnable game next week. They go to Houston. Houston is two and seven. 
So if the Patriots go into Houston next week and manage a win, all of a sudden they're 5-5 five and five and they're in the conversation, especially if things shake out at the end of the year and the NFL has to go to this expanded playoff scenario. Now, I don't know that they will. You know, they seem to be holding pretty steady after that first, you know, the initial problem there early with Tennessee and, you know, having to postpone a couple of games and finally, but they got them played and we haven't had any issues since then. So obviously the hope is they won't, that maybe they've got it figured out, but Hey, look, the Patriots have put themselves in the conversation. Something I thought would not be the case. Uh, JC Jackson, by the way, another interception. He now has an interception in five straight games, which is a franchise record. And Jackson who looked uh, horrific last week, got burnt on a regular basis, uh, looked really, really good yesterday. Made a couple of nice plays on defense and had an interception. And so the Patriots uh, pick up the 23-17 win on Sunday Night Football. Uh, the game of the day, and this, I watched the entire thing. Because the Masters, I had the Masters on, but the Masters was you know, pretty much over by then. You knew DJ was going to win it. So when the NFL started, I turned on the Cardinals and Bills games and Bills game, and I watched this entire game. It was a lot of fun to watch. You know, it looked like that Buffalo, I thought Buffalo was going to win this game. They had a 23-9 to lead in the, the third quarter with about, uh, I wouldn't say about eight minutes to play. But then all of a sudden, Kyler Murray woke up. Uh, he takes him on a nine-play, 75-yard drive that he finishes off on a one-yard run. Now it's a touchdown game. Defense does its job. They get it back on a turnover. Zane Gonzalez, a 45-yard field goal. Now it's a four-point game. And then Kyler Murray again with eight seconds left, a 15-yard run. And look at this, Arizona's leading the game. But Josh Allen, who, who to look, he looked uh, good at times yesterday, but he was uh, inconsistent. But he came alive on the final, the final drive for Buffalo, and he appeared to give his team the win. A 12-play, 78-yard drive, and Josh Allen hit Stephon Diggs 21 yards with 34 seconds left. His second touchdown pass of the game. Buffalo has the 30-26 to 26 lead with 34 seconds left. You figure, no shot. Arizona gets it back, and uh, they're on their side of the 50-yard line. You know, and uh, there's, what, you know, 20 seconds left in the game or 21 seconds left in the game, and Murray's running around, you know, trying to find an open man. He finally does, gets it over uh, right around midfield with about well, got it down to what the forty-three yard line with about eleven seconds left, you know. And they're like, you know, he can't. Maybe you get two plays off. He can't. He's taking too long, and yada yada yada. Well, then on the next play, again running around. This play took nine seconds. 
you know, didn't have anything, running to his left, and then just heaves the ball into the end zone. DeAndre Hopkins jumps up over three defenders, <laughs> catches the ball for a touchdown, and Arizona wins this game 32-30. to You know, they're uh, immediately on the air, the, you know, they're calling it the Hail Murray. Uh, it was spectacular. You know, and Murray did a good job because he was getting pressure. He did a great job of getting himself space to get the ball away. But DeAndre Hopkins out-jumped three guys. But the, the most amazing thing to me was is how strong his hands have to be because he catches that ball. He's got three guys trying to dig that thing out of there, and he just puts he just grips it <laughs> as if his life depended on it, pulls it in, and uh, Arizona wins this game. What a spectacular game. And now Buffalo falls to 7-3. and three. And Arizona, because of the way the other game shook out yesterday, is now in a three-way tie for first place in the NFC West along with the Rams and Seattle. So now, and that's another reason why if you're a Patriot fan, you're looking at, okay, four and five. You know, we're still, you know, a couple of games back, but... You still have to play Buffalo again, you know, and it's in Foxborough. And to be fair, the Patriots, even though their record is as bad as it is, they are a few plays away from having at least two other wins. I mean, really, they could be six and five right now. Maybe even seven and four if a couple of things fall right. They've had trouble finishing off games. And uh, Buffalo couldn't finish off a game yesterday, so uh, congratulations to Kyler Murray. And, again, I, I said this uh, to Dan Zampano on Friday. I was wrong. I thought Kyler Murray belonged playing baseball. I did. But Kyler Murray yesterday ran for two scores, threw for another one, 22 of 32 for 245 yards. And uh, for the second straight week, uh, just wills his team to a victory. 46 minutes past the hour. we got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. You know, I was just thinking during the uh, during the break when I was talking about the Patriots game, and I said, you know, great bounce back after getting drilled the week before. And, you know, the Patriots have won a couple in a row, but I still, uh, that Jet game, that was, <laughs> that was the biggest gift of the season because they did get outplayed by that Jets team. Uh, you know, so they did, I guess technically they didn't get drilled, but they got embarrassed. I mean, that was a Jets team, you know, that can't get out of their own way. It's 0-9, and they damn near lost that game. But a team that did get drilled last week was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They lost to the Saints last week 38-3. to So this week was important uh, for the Bucs for a couple of reasons. I mean, they had they had to show that they weren't that bad, and they were going up against a pretty good Carolina Panthers defense. Well, Tom Brady uh, made a statement yesterday. Look, this was a good game for a half. 17 apiece. And then the Bucks outscored Carolina 29-6 to in the second half. The only score that uh, Carolina got was uh, midway through the fourth quarter. Other than that, it was all Buccaneers. Tom Brady yesterday threw for 341 yards, 
three touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, the Buccaneers took care of the football, did not, uh, uh, didn't turn it over. Well, they didn't, no, excuse me, they did have one fumble. But they ran up 544 yards of offense against, against what is not a bad Carolina defense. They made them look awful. You know, uh, and, you know, Brady was what you would expect. What they didn't expect was Ronald Jones running for 192 yards. Now, 97 of that or 98 of that was on one play. But even if you take that out, he ran 22 times for um, another 94 yards after that. But that 98-yarder, the longest uh, touchdown in franchise history, and I think it was the third longest of NFL history yesterday. You know, so that that was kind of the uh, uh, the icing on the cake. That came midway through the third quarter and put Tampa up twenty six to seventeen. But uh, Brady yesterday again uh, spread the ball around. Nine different people caught passes, including, of course, Rob Gronkowski had another touchdown pass as he and. Uh, uh, he and uh, Brady have found their rhythm again. Antonio Brown, seven catches for 69 yards. Mike Evans with another touchdown pass. Uh, it was just a big, big day for Tampa. So now the Buccaneers are 7-3. and three. They trail New Orleans by a half a game. Uh, New Orleans with a win yesterday. Uh, but you have to worry about what is going to happen in New Orleans because Drew Brees got hurt in that game. They beat a depleted San Francisco 49er team yesterday, 27-13. to 13. But Drew Brees did not play in the second half. Now, the Saints led 17-10 at halftime, but Jameis Winston had to play quarterback in the second half, and Winston did a good job of, you know, again – controlling the game. He was only 6 of 10 for 63 yards, but at that point, you know, with this with a bad San Francisco 49er team, they just needed that offense not to turn the football over. And Jameis Winston, who was a turnover machine when he was in Tampa, did a great job yesterday of controlling this. Now, if Breeze isn't able to play, you know, this week, uh it could change the way th- the outlook in the NFC South. You know, and look, you know, Breeze is 41 years old. He took a hell of a shot to the ribs. Um, You know, don't know, uh, again, don't know how severe that is right now. The Saints have Atlanta coming up this Sunday. The Saints aren't very good, uh, but that is a big potential loss for the Saints, and it could open up a path to the division title uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, The... NFC least, as I like to call it, continues to uh, just be putrid. It looked like the Eagles might be finally ready to take control of that division. They had a three-four and one record. If they beat the Giants yesterday, now all of a sudden, you know, it's a uh, you know they're at five hundred. Well, they couldn't beat the Giants yesterday. The Giants win this game twenty-seven to seventeen. 
Daniel Jones, 244 yards passing, no turnovers. Again, the Giants did a great job yesterday of taking care of the football. No interceptions, no fumbles, and just controlled this game. And Carson Wentz, you know, missed a lot of open receivers. Got sacked three times, 21 of 37 for 208 yards. Uh, they really couldn't do much offensively. Sanders had 85 yards on the ground. Scott ran for 63 more, but 56 of that was on uh, one play. But the Eagles' offense just looked pathetic. Giants, 382 yards on the ground, I mean, in the game. And uh, now New York at 3-7, and seven, a game and a half behind Philly at 3-5-1. and one. The Giants now have as many wins as the division leader. The difference here, of course, is the uh, the Eagles have that tie. But now the Giants have put themselves in a position where they could actually make the playoffs. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, only other game I wanted to mention from yesterday uh, was uh, Tua Tagovailoa does it again. He wins his third straight start for the Miami Dolphins. They beat a... Uh, Chargers team that is just putrid, just going uh, in the wrong direction. But Miami wins yesterday 29-21. to uh, Tua, he wasn't spectacular, 15 of 25, 169 yards, but two touchdowns, did not throw any interceptions. You know, he does, the you know, distributed the ball smartly, and uh, they win the game. Only 280 yards of offense for Miami. It was not, you know, a thing of beauty. But if you're the Dolphins, you're now at 6-3 and three after the Miami loss. I mean, after the Buffalo loss, you're a half a game out of first place. And, you know, they're right in the conversation. And the Dolphins now have a winnable game next week. They play at Denver. Matter of fact, the next three opponents for the Dolphins. You know, if if you're a Dolphin fan, you have to be thrilled by this stat. The next three opponents for the Dolphins are a combined 5-21 and 1. 5-21 and 1, their next three opponents. So, you know, they take care of business. All of a sudden, Miami's 9-3, and three, and we've got ourselves a horse race uh, in the AFC East. So... Uh, That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow morning with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We appreciate your time this morning. By the way, those of you that have been downloading the podcast, uh, appreciate that. It has gotten uh, more traction than I thought it was going to. Uh, It's available on on iTunes. It's available on uh, Amazon Music, on Spotify, on uh, Google Podcasts, on YouTube. It's everywhere. And uh, people have been downloading it. So I appreciate that. And um, we'll continue uh, to do that as long as there's interest. We're going to leave you this morning with a little music from Dirks Bentley. His new song's called Gone. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm gone. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.